Hi, Connectors. Welcome to another episode of Amps Connected Podcast. Yes, I know it's been quite a while, and actually it's been a while since I recorded this episode. I recorded it back in December 2019, so no, I have not traveled, especially right now, right? I spent about the whole month of December in Dominica, the Commonwealth of Dominica, so don't get confused. It's not the Dominican Republic. It's a small country in the Caribbean, about 75,000 people total, so a city, basically. But where I was was in a tiny village. Uh, It was so beautiful, and I'm so excited about this episode. You can hear just the the breeze, the ocean. If you ever get the chance to visit Dominica, please go. This episode is with my friend, my sister, who was a neighbor and we just got to know each other. She's an anthropologist and she was spending some time in Dominica studying alloparenting and motherhood. So I thought this was the perfect time to release this episode because as you know it is Women's History Month and with everything going on in the world with coronavirus, COVID-19, I think this is you know something happy so you can go somewhere else in the world, get to know an anthropologist and maybe go and do some research on Dominica. It's a gorgeous country so you know what to do. Sit back, relax, Do what you do, whatever you do while listening to a podcast. And let's get connected. We are connected. What do they say? Be free. Free up. Free up. Free up. Free up. Hi, Connectors. Welcome to another episode of Amps Connected. I am your host, Alexia Marche Plummer, and I am so excited because I am on location in the field with an anthropologist and PhD candidate. Welcome, Valerie Miller. How are you? I'm great. (laughs) I know, this is so weird. So we are sitting on Valerie's gorgeous... I'm happy to be here with Alexia Plummer. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I'm going to jump in right now to let you know that there's going to be some bleeps in here, not because we are cursing and saying all types of filthy things, but it's because I need to keep some anonymity. So that is why. All right, carry on. Um, yeah, y'all. So I am spending my Christmas here on the island in Dominica on Valerie's porch, just freeing up. That's a phrase that they use here in Dominica. And again, I am so excited about this episode because Valerie's one of my bestest friends and she's an anthropologist. Y'all know I love to travel. So I'm excited to connect with you, get to know you a little more and what it means to be an anthropologist. That sounds good. All right, so like we always start, who in the world inspires you? Oh, man. Mm. 
first and foremost, single parents who are absolutely devoted to their children and their careers and manage to do both without much help. Mm. Do I need a name drop? Do I need? I mean, you can if you want people to. People who are super inspiring. Sure. Someone who has inspired you as a person and maybe even your anthropological, mm. is that the word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, work. Ooh. I know it's on the spot. A person who has inspired me and why I'm researching what I'm researching. Oh, this is super simple. My kid, Lila. Mm. Yeah, I had her when I was 21, and I was not doing too well in school, and I was not on my way to being an anthropologist yet. Mm -hmm. But having her changed my course a good bit, and she inspired the hell out of me to learn more about humans, to learn more about motherhood, to learn more about people. Because fast forward, Lila's nine, mm -hmm. nine years, and you are now a PhD candidate, so. True. Yeah, I went from a 1.54 GPA and had lost two full scholarships at two different universities mm -hmm. to two years of president's list and a full ride to a master's degree and a full ride to a PhD. Girl, you did it. You are doing it. I did. But yeah, no, she was... By and large, the only inspiration I had or needed at the time. Mm, shout out to Lila, who is the sweetest, smartest kid, nine-year-old I know. Shout out. So let's back it I up. I agree. I concur with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so let's back it up some. Before Lila, mm -hmm. before anthropology, mm -hmm. where are you from? I was born in Starkville, Mississippi and then spent a little bit of time in Mobile, Alabama. And then my mom and dad became house parents at a boys orphanage in Gadsden, Alabama mm -hmm. when I was nine. So what was life like growing up? <laughs> it was, it was fun. It was safe. It was loud. I had wonderful parents. I had brothers, some of whom I loved, some of whom I hated, depending on the day. It was never boring, it was never quiet. Um, Family-wise, I feel I extremely lucky, and the more I get to know people and the more I get to know about their childhoods, I feel even more lucky mm -hmm. that I had the parents that I did. But I also was a gymnast throughout primary school, secondary school, and the majority of my time was spent at school or in the gym. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I was raised both by my parents and by my gymnastics coaches. Mm -hmm. So do you think living <coughs> on a boy's 
orphanage, in a boy's orphanage, do you think that has anything to do with you becoming an anthropologist? Or what did you want to be growing up? Oh, well, I've never stuck with anything for too long. I think that's why I became an anthropologist, because you can study whatever you want. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a pilot, a fighter pilot. I wanted to be that's a surgeon. Cool. Uh-huh. I wanted to travel the world playing guitar for a band. Cool. <laughs> I wanted to travel the world and write books. I never settled on anything. I wanted to go to medical school for a very long time. Mm -hmm. But as far as, so I grew up, it's called Big Oak Boys Ranch in Gadsden, Alabama. It's where I lived from age nine to 17. And one thing that stuck with me and has always stuck with me is you never, ever, ever know where someone's been until you've been in their shoes. Mm -hmm. So just keep your mouth shut, be kind, mm -hmm. and just learn from that person without... Just learn whatever you can from that person. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the foster brothers I had growing up had had some really rough times and were not treated too well at the school we went to, which was a private school full of wealthy white children. Mm -hmm. And they had a hard time with that. And I always wanted my classmates and the world around me to be more understanding of them. Mm -hmm. And I was also always really confused and concerned with how their mothers could make the choice not to raise them. Mm. So maybe in some roundabout way, spending time there and getting to know children who had been abandoned or neglected or abused yeah. in some way, shape or form, <clears throat> led me to wanting to research motherhood. So obviously you didn't start with a PhD. No. Where did you go for undergrad? I went to Mississippi State and I did biomedical engineering for two years. That's before I lost the full scholarship because of terrible <laughs> grades. And I had the intention of going to medical school. Mm -hmm. um, moved to England for a year to work as a nanny when I was dropped out of school. Came back, went to Jacksonville State University in Alabama, and just took an anthropology course as an elective. I see. And that's when you fell in love <coughs> with anthropology? That's when I, f well, A, found out what anthropology was. Look, that's a later question. Because I didn't question. have a clue. Look, that's like right here. I'm going to ask you what is anthropology, but right now we're talking about... I'm not even sure, <laughs> but I'm learning. I've been learning for about a decade, so uh -huh. maybe I can answer that in a bit. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I didn't know what anthropology was. I didn't have an idea of what evolutionary theory was. And I just thought it was insanely interesting that somebody could get a degree and get a job to study humans. Mm -hmm. You know, so I just ran with it. I actually did not know what anthropology was probably until I met you, what, three years ago? Mm -hmm. But I was also 
highly <laughs> interested in different cultures, mm -hmm. love to travel. Mm -hmm. So had I been introduced to anthropology, mm -hmm. who knows, maybe I would be an anthropologist too. I think but. a lot more people would have, as far as university students, I think far more undergrads would major in anthropology mm -hmm. if they knew what it was mm -hmm. before declaring a major. Because yeah. I think a lot of young adults don't learn what it is until they take anthropology as an elective. And then it would require a change of major. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it extended my undergrad two years to switch majors. But, like, people are so interesting. That's yes. part of the reason and the mission of AMS Connected. It's because people all over the world are the same. We all have so much to offer. Why not just be connected and let me learn from you yeah. something that may benefit you and just exchange what we know, our cultures. So you'd say that anthropology is the study of people. Yes. An yes, anthropology is the study of humankind. Our evolution is humans, our culture is humans. Um, I think in a nutshell, that's it. Human mm. behavior, human evolution, human culture. Yeah. So what specifically are you studying? I study how humans evolved, specifically mothers and other women. How humans evolved to be alloparenting. Mm. Um, You're gonna have to break that down. What on. is well, alloparenting? How humans evolved to alloparent, <coughs> which allo means other, parent or mother just means parent or mother. So allo mothering is the mothering of others who are not the infant's biological mother. Mm -hmm. So that could be an auntie. That could be a father, that could be an older sibling, that could be a grandmother, but how we've evolved to share childcare responsibilities. It takes a village. It does take a village. And I also study different parts of cognition that might change when one becomes a mother biologically. Mm -hmm. So, oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, my master's is in psychology, mm -hmm. and I focused on attention during my master's. So I'm specifically concerned with how one's attention changes when you have children. Okay. Um, sometimes colloquially discussed as mommy brain or feeling like your attention is worse. Mm -hmm. So I studied that in my master's and I'm still studying that now. How one's attention changes when they have children. How one's stress changes when they have children. Oh Lord. I do pray yep. for y'all mamas. Yep. Keep, keep praying for <laughs> the mothers. <laughs> so, yeah. okay, so then what is the difference between, you know, there's a young kid who's maybe in high school has a baby and so the mom takes care of the baby or better yet, the parent is strung out on drugs and the grandparents or the older sibling has to now care for 
the younger siblings or the child. So what is the difference between that and alloparenting? Or is it the same? So that would be alloparenting. Mm-hmm. The, what's really focused on in evolutionary anthropology is how the mother's reproduction and her reproductive success is affected by that behavior and how the offspring's outcomes are affected by that behavior. Mm-hmm. But that's just when we're discussing how many children one has, how long they stay alive, how healthy they are, and does alloparenting help that? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. Yes, it does. Um, but alloparenting is so... Can I... Do I use curse words in this? Girl, yes. Say what okay. you want to say. So alloparenting is really fucking broad. Mm-hmm. And it's too broad, I think, to be... Um, discussed in specifics because we could be talking about institutional alloparenting where one goes takes their kids to daycare we could be talking about a child that is given to a grandparent Mm -hmm. and is cared for 100% by a grandparent we could be talking about a live-in nanny we could be talking about a babysitter who's related or not related so it's a little bit messy a little bit general it's a little bit broad but the idea is that a human mother when she is receiving help for a baby Mm -hmm. she's able to conserve some energy because someone's helping yes and she is more easily able to feed multiple children and care for multiple children when there's help involved Mm-hmm. And other primates, with the exception of a few monkeys and cockatrids, don't really do that. Mm-hmm. So humans have evolved to be very cooperative and have a lot of sharing behaviors mm-hmm. compared to other primates. And one of the main sharing behaviors is that we share child care responsibilities with others. Mm-hmm. And I want to know how those child caring responsibilities affects the mother's psychological functioning and psychological health. Yeah. I'm, my mom has a bunch of sisters and my grandma was heavily involved. I'm sure having her sisters and people around helps, you know, level her stress. Mm-hmm. Because I'm, I'm sure without them, she couldn't have managed. I think you're right. Anecdotally, this is not from my research because I don't know any answers yet mm-hmm. to really anything. But mm-hmm. anecdotally in my own life with Lila's first three years of life and not having a partner. Yeah. My family and friends and social network was so key and our Mm well-being, my well-being and Lila's Mm -hmm. well-being. I was able to work the hours I needed to work for income because of the helpers that I had, friends and family. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to relax when I needed to relax and have others in the house that I knew had their eye on her when she was little. And 
I don't think we've been made and I don't think we've evolved to do it by ourselves. Mm -hmm. I think that any mom taking the lion's share of child care responsibilities without much help is going to have a lot of excess stress she doesn't necessarily need to have if she were to have some help. So Specifically grandmothers. Mm -hmm. and so that is yeah. still considered alloparenting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the main alloparent or allomother that's been studied in the literature, mm -hmm. first and foremost, is the grandmother. And there's even a hypothesis called the grandmother hypothesis which talks about the reason why women live so many years after menopause, after mm -hmm. they've had their reproduction years. Yeah. You know, a big question is why do women live so long if There's they're not reproducing anymore? Mm -hmm. And one pretty solid answer is that, well, they're grandmothers and they're helping their offspring, offspring mm -hmm. stay alive. I think this, your research, should like help destigmatize the grandmas who are raising their their child's yeah. child. Yeah. No, I. Or the auntie. I hope that any anthrop, any alloparenting studies in anthropology are doing that because mm -hmm. from the very get go, it was kind of a pushback. Not a pushback, but it, it reacted as a pushback to attachment theory mm. by a few psychologists, John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth, who basically set a model in place that discussed the relationship, the emotional, physical bonding relationship between mother and child mm -hmm. and how important that was and different attachment styles of the mother with their child. And not that there's anything inherently wrong in attachment theory, but it ignored the role of anyone outside of the mom. Yeah. And it only focused on the mom. Mm -hmm. But we all know that it's not just the mother who is attaching to and loving and raising an infant so true. most of the time. I've read a few articles about attachment theory and I think I know my attachments. Is it style? Mm -hmm. um, but I, I know that's true because like I said, my grandma spent, I spent a lot of time with my grandma. Yeah. And I know I picked up a lot from my grandma and from my mom and from my aunts. Yeah, I, okay, so can I switch gears a tiny sure, bit? go ahead. There has been a good bit of critique on alloparenting literature because it's usually discussing communities outside the United States. Mm -hmm. um, I hate to use the word traditional because that has a lot of baggage. Mm -hmm. That word has a lot of baggage, but when you think of hunter-gatherer groups and small horticultural communities. I see where you're going. Mm -hmm. Those are the main communities that are discussed in alloparenting literature mm -hmm. in West Africa, in the Caribbean, which brings in me South America. 
And a lot of scholars have said, no, 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 no. parenting is happening in full force mm-hmm. in the United States, and it's happening in the black community, which is sometimes ignored in research within the United States. Mm-hmm. And there are scholars who look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes we generalize with the U.S. being individualistic <coughs> and yeah. not participating in alloparenting like the other <laughs> communities. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily think that's uh, very accurate. But that brings me to my next question. We will segue into it. Why in the world did you come to Dominica? I'm guessing, and from what I've gathered, I've been here, I don't know how many days now. Like there's, (laughs) like this whole country is nothing but aloe parents, if that's the correct way to to use it. Yeah, no, 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 that's that's pretty spot on. I didn't know I was going to research here. Mm-hmm. Because when I started my PhD, my advisor at Purdue studies in Peru and in Mexico, and she studied in Bolivia, and I didn't have anyone on my committee who studied in Dominica. But I was reading a lot of alloparenting literature that took place with the Hadza or the Ache or the Eke, and I don't even know if I'm saying those That's words right. right, so God forgive me <laughs> if I'm saying them wrong. <laughs> But a lot of um, the Maya, a lot of communities that I had not studied with and that my committee had not studied with. And I also have a background in French, not Spanish or any other language outside Mm -hmm. of English. So in reading the alloparenting literature, I came across a lot of work by Mark Flynn and his colleagues and his students and it took place in Dominica, and they speak English and they speak French Patois. Mm. And mm. because <laughs> I moved my family of four mm-hmm. to my field site, I wanted to know that I was in a safe community, in a community that I could speak with, mm-hmm. both my first and my second language. And so, I reached out to Dr. Mark Flynn, shared with him my research goals, and asked him if he thought Dominica would be a good place to do this research, and he said yes. So, here um, you are. I am, yeah. (laughs) Here we are, y'all, again. It is so beautiful out here. I have been here since the 9th I think 10th something like that very know. close if it's something like that and it is almost Christmas Eve and I've just been like hiking the mountains you know working on my glutes trying not to slip down these slick the mountains mountainside <laughs> <laughs> but it is so beautiful here it is beautiful um but I have been concerned, just because some things that we talked about before coming here. What in the world is the segment where we talk about 
something legal news, something that's happening around you. And I would like to discuss the elections that Dominica just had. As an American, you know, y'all, I'm kind of happy that they went on and peached the peach. Yep. But no one did. Uh, <laughs> I haven't heard it called that yet. No, I just thought about that, so that was still my joke, y'all. Okay. Um, but, you yeah, know. That was original. That thanks. was pretty good. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, knowing that, like, you come from some craziness, but pretty stable generally. Yeah. From a country, I mean. Mm-hmm. Even with its political foolishness. You came to a country just around the same time I I got here. They had just had elections. Mm -hmm. What were your thoughts? What was your experience going living here during the 2009 Dominica elections? Well, 2019. What? Nine? 2019. uh, Yes, 2019. I'm going to preface with I started out as an ignorant bystander. Mm hmm because in reading about Dominica before moving here, because I don't do research necessarily in politics, Mm -hmm. it's not something I read up on or knew a lot about. Maybe I should have done that more before I moved here. So I did not know that elections were December 6th. I didn't know the political tensions that existed and I generally was ignorant of the differences between the United Workers Party and the Dominican Labor Party. Mm -hmm. Is it like Republicans and Democrats? Mm, Similar similar enough. The Labor Party's been in power a long time. Mm -hmm. The Prime Minister Minister Roosevelt Skerritt just won his fifth consecutive election. Wow, and how many years is a term? Five, I believe. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah, I think that's right. So he's been in power for 25 years? That doesn't sound right. Just a long time. Yeah, so his fifth consecutive election, I'm not sure. I know that elections for prime ministers happen every five years. Okay. Maybe he hasn't been prime minister for 25 years once again i know far less than i should know <laughs> it's all right we just know that f- for a long time the he's been in power Dominica, the labor party won 18 of the 21 seats in parliament okay and they have very close ties with China and Venezuela, mm-hmm. and what I have learned is that the United Workers Party feels that the Labor Party is corrupt, mm-hmm. and that everyone involved at a high level in the government at this moment is corrupt, mm-hmm. and their platform was to, in the corruption, begin election reform. Mm-hmm. And they were called by the Labor Party. They're called the opposition, even though they're the UWP. Even though they're the United Workers Party, they were discussed 
as the opposition, mm. <laughs> which felt a little strange to me. Uh huh. And I have never in my life in the United States or any other country I've lived in or stayed in mm -hmm. experienced firsthand political unrest, I guess you could say. But Dominique is really small. There's about 72,000 people that live in the entire country. So oh when wow. something happens, <laughs> everybody it's, it's a little bit more tangible and real yes. for the people who live here than, say I'm in Alabama and there is a political rally and tear gas used and rubber bullets used and roads blocked off mm -hmm. and protest in D.C. Mm -hmm. I don't really experience that or feel that or maybe even know the right. details about it. But when you have a country that is this small, like those things matter to each and every corner and each and every village and each and every town. Yeah, this is like the size of Lafayette, an American Indiana. town. Exactly. Lafayette, Indiana has 72,000 people. Dominica <laughs> has about 72,000 people. That's insane. It, yeah, so it the political situation has felt far more real to me. Yeah, I can imagine. Than it ever has in the United States. And with a population this small, each and every vote does count. Mm -hmm. And that's something I heard a lot of people talk about, was that every single vote counts. Mm. But there were also rumors, and or not rumors, just facts, of the Prime Minister spending money to bring in voters from other countries, other islands, whether so it was chartering a ferry, whether it was chartering a plane, mm -hmm. to guarantee wow. his success. So I can't speak to the validity <laughs> of that. I just uh -huh. know it's what's been published in Dominica News Online and yeah. what I've heard from my neighbors. <laughs> so no one really fully believed that there was a fair election taking place this uh, month. Where is the election laws around here? I I don't I don't know. But I I am a little bit nervous that the way a lot of people feel about the government as being corrupt mm -hmm. and as having ties with countries, communist countries and countries in political unrest that they m should or should not have ties to. Yeah, th <laughs> there's a lot going on right now. I mean, coming in and seeing like all the flags and the posters, it just seems like, you know, oh, they're running for mayor or something. Yeah, no but then to think about it, like, no, this is like, like the president that, that's yeah. running, right? Well, prime minister. Okay. But the president, Charles Savran, is in control, I believe, mm -hmm. of the military, defense, security, and different, maybe maybe some other areas of the government. Okay, commander But I've heard that Roosevelt Skerritt's goal mm -hmm. would be to become the president because then he could not be investigated or charged. Oh gosh. And that his wife and or young son would eventually take prime minister because his wife, Melissa Skerritt, is a minister now. Uh-huh. Uh, she is one of the 18 so members nepotism? of- nepotism? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what it, that's what it feels like. This kind of sounds like the Republican Party. It's kinda, it kind of <laughs> feels real bad. But I'm nervous and cautious to say those things because a lot of the people I know here mm-hmm. adore him. And, that's, that's and see true. that the Labor Party has brought funds for hurricane relief. They've mm-hmm. rebuilt roads. They've rebuilt homes. They've brought back tourism. So a lot of the people I know and I care about Mm-hmm. truly believe that this party has done wonderful things for the island. Mm-hmm. My gut response is that this is money that has been gifted and or loaned by China and or Venezuela and that in mm-hmm. having these funds to rebuild a nation um, he's put himself in a precarious position. Do I know any of that as fact? Absolutely not. Because that's not why you're here. It's not why I'm here. You're but here it to is study alloparenting. It is. <laughs> but when every conversation you have mm-hmm. turns back to the election in some way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. because it is December 2019 and elections happened this month, you start to listen, you start to pay attention. So how... How has your experience been? You've been here now for how many months? Three and a half. What has your experience been like? Because you are like a part of the community. I am learning how to be a part of the community. Mm -hmm. I don't always feel that yet. Wait, what has my experience been like? Yeah. Okay, I can I can narrow it if you like. Yeah, please. All right. So let's back it up some, okay? Okay. Before coming out here, you had to prepare an IRB. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just work somewhat with IRB, so I know something a little bit yeah. about it. But what does IRB stand for? And what is an IRB and how does it relate to you? and your field research. So IRB stands for Institutional Review Board. Okay. And it is put in place by the university to ensure that ethical practices are being done with research with human subjects. Okay, so you just can't like rope them all up and then bring them to your house and like keep them yeah, in no, a you room can't do that. <laughs> and force feed them pudding. Yeah, Okay. no, we're not doing that. It, It's an institution where you present to them the research objectives, who you will be researching and why, the research methods and materials that you'll be using during this time. Mm -hmm. You have to share with them, mm -hmm. you have to share with them what your informed consent looks like. And they go through your proposal with a fine tooth comb, ask you to make changes if necessary and then kind of put their final stamp of approval on a research project Mm -hmm. that is happening with human subjects. Mm -hmm. So you are really not out here just doing whatever you please. Oh no, absolutely not. (laughs) Real life people. No. Um, Part of ethnography, or the method of ethnography, which is for the most part participant observation, participating with with people, learning from people, communicating with people, conversing with people, observing people and their behaviors, 
because you're creating friendships and relationships, mm -hmm. it is a little bit difficult to separate what is research and what is life and what is data collection and what is just a casual conversation. Mm. But at the end of the day, each and every human that you speak with, wherever you're living, whether it's Dominica or New York, they need to be completely and fully aware and very clear of what your intentions are and why you're there. Mm -hmm. And everyone I've spoken with knows that I'm a PhD student at Purdue University and I study mothering and how we mother with others and how motherhood changes our cognition and that's been a conversation I've had over and over and over mm -hmm. so that my friends as well as people in this community know why I'm here. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to take a quick pause because one of her cuties um, is asking. He's just going to be on the podcast. That's all. That's okay. He just, he just needed some podcast attention. That's fine. <laughs> Connectors, that is Joe, the cutest five-year-old. <laughs> I, I agree. I do think he's the cutest five-year-old. Um... So, you know what question just popped in my head? No, I don't, but please share. I'll tell you. So, we are in Dominica, and this island is mostly black people. Oh, yeah. So, how has it been a family of four white Americans moving in to Dominica? Well, it's been a learning experience, and mm -hmm. I have felt like I live under a microscope a good bit, mm -hmm. because I can't go anywhere without people just kind of gawking and staring and wondering why the hell I'm in rural <laughs> Dominica. Because mm -hmm. surely you're a tourist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get asked all the time. Miss, do you need help back to the boat? <laughs> Miss, do you need a taxi? Miss, are you lost? Mm -hmm. Miss, can I help you with your baggage? Even though they're my groceries, mm -hmm. I'm taking back to my home. Um, it hasn't been a bad experience, but it's been super eye-opening mm. as far as what it would be like to be the minority, mm -hmm. to be the other, and to be stared at. Mm -hmm. all day every day by a bunch of people who don't look like you and who want to know why the hell you're there yeah and it brings a lot of I'm somewhat of a private person mm -hmm. so it brings a lot of uh, undue attention I wasn't looking for yeah but I also think it's very important that a community of black people in Dominica see my two white children being comfortable in the school with their children. Yeah. And they see me have the same struggles 
whether it's walking up a mountain or oh, being able to no, afford yeah. groceries or getting the school bus, getting to the school bus on time with my Ooh. children. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think there, at first, there was a little bit of shock and questioning of, oh, oh, well, <laughs> what are you doing here? And wait, your, your children aren't in school. And mm -hmm. Yeah, they are. No, 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 no. You don't, you, your kids don't go to school. <laughs> yes, they do. And then you tell them what? Makawaisi? Makawaisi? There we go. <laughs> I live here. Laba, over there. <laughs> and lower Laivawi. We were out, you know? and um, we were at like a, a bar, and someone kept asking her, and as soon as she said, what is it? Mokawete Isi. He was like, whoa. Yeah, he was totally tripped out. I was kind of proud of you. Like, super proud. Well, I would like the people I live next to to know that I do want to live here. I do want to be here. I do want to know your language. I'm not just mm -hmm. this weirdo tourist who's here to collect some data for a bit. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, wouldn't that be weird? Like, I don't know mm -hmm. you. Mm-hmm. You are a white woman mm -hmm. coming to swab my cheek. Mm -hmm. And all right, that's it. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine that if I were in my own community in Indiana before I moved here, that getting a knock on the door by my neighbor and a researcher from Dominica might feel a little strange to me. Mm -hmm. And I would probably enjoy getting to know that person before having that person interview me. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's important that I get to know my neighbors, I get to know the community, I get to, I, I make friends, mm -hmm. you know, I... Because you haven't started your research yet. You've no. been here since September, mm -hmm. August, September? September, yeah. And you're just here acclimating yeah, I, I'm here getting to know getting people. Getting to know people. And I would like to, m to meet several people and build rapport and build relationships with women who, starting in January, I'd like to invite to be a part of the mm -hmm. study. Some will want to, some won't to, and won't, <laughs> wait, some <laughs> will want to, and some won't. want want to yeah. damn <laughs> and that's right. totally normal that's uh. completely fine <laughs> but it's given me time to get my family adjusted and settled mm -hmm. in and to share with a lot of women here why I want to live here and why I research what I research and mm -hmm. I think that's been extremely important from the many interactions I've seen they have welcomed you and they love you here I do th I do think they love my family maybe that's just all in my head because I'd like to believe that but mm -hmm. th they've, no. they have been welcoming to my family and I think that the feedback I'm getting from many many families here is they're happy to have an American family <coughs> move into their community they're happy to have an American family who wants to learn about their 
their lifestyles mm -hmm. and their culture. And it's been kind of weird and exciting for a lot of the students in San Jose School to have two random American white <laughs> children join them in the fall yeah. in the fall term. You know, it's it's kind of weird. Mm -hmm. But it's cool. Yeah, of, of course they've been super welcoming, and I think it just all all bo all boils down to us being extremely and genuinely interested in their lives here. Mm -hmm. And you know, my husband, he's learning how to garden with several friends. Yo, yo, I got I got to do this. Shout out to Sam because he is the realest of the real. Yes. Gardening. Yes, his dashian. His dashian. <laughs> his papa. His sweet potato, his plantain. It is. His uh, Tanya. Yeah, what's it, the camera? The star fruit. What's oh, it called? Carambula. Carambula. He's taking care of his carambula tree. It's, it's amazing, so shout out to him, holding it down. Yeah. Shout out to y'all. Yeah, and he has been crucial mm -hmm. in the community's acceptance of us living here mm -hmm. and being here and getting to know them and he has done a shit ton of legwork for me without even trying to mm -hmm. by simply becoming friends with most of our neighbors and showing an interest in what men do here for a living which a lot of them garden even if they have jobs, they're still maintaining and cleaning their garden mm -hmm. and providing food for their families. <clears throat> and so a lot of the men that he's met, they've helped him with that. They've taught him. He's learning from them and they see him do that. And it's really important mm -hmm. to them. Yeah, he showed me out in his little garden with his cutlass. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> yes, he's he sliding did. down the mountainside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I still get nervous about him waving that collis around uh -huh. in the bush, but uh, we're just going to pray, God, Lord, please, no please injuries. let him keep all of his fingers and please, toes Lord, and arms and Please, legs. Lord, because we need to dash him. <laughs> <laughs> so, you've been here three months. Uh -huh. Your kids have played with the kids here. Mm -hmm. You have sipped wine and drank rum, the local rum. Is there anything that, if you could add to your IRB, yeah. how would you amend your IRB? There's two things I want to do at a survey level. I want to include an attitude towards men's survey, mm -hmm. and I'd like to include a depression, anxiety, and stress skill. Mm -hmm because I don't, even though my master's is in psychology, I haven't done a lot of postpartum mental health research, but I think that's important here. And especially after talking to a lot of moms who haven't necessarily had the easiest time. Mm -hmm. So I think including surveys with the mother's relationship to their partners and looking at their self-reported depression, anxiety, and stress is important. Mm -hmm. But if I was going to add one question to my interview, I would say, or maybe I might add this, I might amend my IRB. I would say, what is it 
about being a mother in Dominica specifically that you would like to share with the world? What story of motherhood in Dominica do you find so important mm -hmm. you would like to share? Um, or if I was going to write a book titled Motherhood in Dominica, what do you think would be extremely important for me to add to that story, to add to that narrative of being a mother in Dominica? Mm -hmm. How then mm -hmm. has your experience been being a mother As here a mother in Dominica? In Dominica? Not all good. Not, I mean, not, not generally bad, but it has been more difficult. It has been more stressful. I am worried about my kids different times throughout the day that I don't think I was in my home in Indiana. Mm -hmm. um, they have a very long walk to get to their school bus stop <laughs> where I can't see them. Mm -hmm. Y'all, I took that walk and it ain't no it's easy walk. <laughs> it's not fun, it's straight uphill. <laughs> and then they have to wait on a school bus that sometimes does not come. So then they have a two hour walk to their school where I can't see them, which also makes me nervous. Yeah, of course. There are many children who come over and play with them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't know the children that well or their parents. Mm -hmm. So I'm pretty cautious and I have to be pretty vigilant in watching them when they're in the yard or in the house with these children, sometimes older children, I don't know. So generally I've, I've felt a little more anxious, a little more um, aware of where my children are, which, which means for me personally it hasn't been very easy. Mm -hmm. I can imagine. But I don't know if that's my positionality as a new a new woman and a new mother here that doesn't know that that doesn't know my neighbor. My positionality as a woman and a mother here who doesn't know my neighbor that mm -hmm. well. Mm -hmm. Or if that's the experience of every mother here cuz I think a lot of it is just getting used to It's just getting used to life here. It's just getting mm -hmm. used to taking care of other children that you don't expect to show up at your doorstep <laughs> that you're going to take care of that day. And what was it one morning? Every <laughs> single day, without exception. Yeah. One morning Alexia we wake Plummer, up. Without exception. <laughs> every day I've lived here. <laughs> I've been responsible for more than my two children. Yep. I've, and I've I think it's kind it. of ironic that I'm here to study aloe mothering. Mm -hmm. And it's a little difficult mm -hmm. to study aloe mothering when you're busy mm -hmm. being an aloe mother. Uh huh. All day. But however, All day. wait a minute. Wait a minute. Your life has become your work. Your yeah. work has become yeah. your life. Yeah. That's, that's not that's not been an easy transition. But it's kind of cool. It's yeah, that's one word for it. Mm. It's also been a little bit enlightening and overwhelming and you know, because you're doing ethnography 
theoretically all day, every day. You're participating, you're serving all the time. Mm -hmm. There's no distinction or distance between your professional self and your personal self. Hmm. And that's been pretty hard for me. So what's a typical day like for you? (laughs) (laughs) If I'm at my house Mm -hmm. and I don't leave the house to you know, do anthropology the way we think of doing anthropology with others. Mm-hmm. I have hours of laundry, which is it, by hand. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. No washing machine. <laughs> Y'all, when she took that bucket <laughs> and put some soap and water and then started wringing those big old towels and big blankets, not sheets, blankets by hand. Yeah, that's not always easy. So, a bunch of laundry. Mm-hmm. We don't have an oven. We have propane for a stovetop. Mm-hmm. So, three meals a day for four people. Take some preparation. No microwave. Mm-hmm. No quick mm-hmm. heat up or quick fix. You mm-hmm. have your provision. You have your protein. And you make a meal at least once a day. So... Feeding the family has taken a lot more time than it used to. Mm -hmm. My floors stay filthy (laughs) because of my cute little barefoot children running Mm -hmm. in and outside of the mud all day. But it's so cute. They're children. It is cute. It is cute. We might have to go to the sea to get some driftwood for firewood Mm -hmm. because beans and lentils take a long time, so you don't want to use up all your propane. Mm -hmm. And my need that the the C is not just oh let's open the back door it's more mm-hmm. so a Mm-mm. let's walk down on the side of a mountain over a river through mm-hmm. the woods mm-hmm. let's hike downhill for half an hour and then gather said firewood and hike our tired, sunburned, <laughs> miserable, dehydrated asses back up the mountain with Mm-mm. the firewood Y'all. to begin the pot. <laughs> I just, I have to, I had to experience it just so I can know and feel what y'all are going through. But y'all are doing it. Y'all are like, what did Joe call himself? A jungle man. A bushman. Yes. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Y'all are now bush people. <laughs> <laughs> no, even if even if I'm not doing any quote unquote work, even if I don't have, say I don't go to the school and volunteer at the kitchen, mm-hmm. say I don't go visit a mom and spend some time with her and her kids and just get to know her, or go see a friend or walk to a shop, which mind you takes several hours in and of itself. Mm-hmm. I have plenty to keep my home clean and my children fed Mm -hmm. and I think that if I were going to say something about being a mother in Dominica for the world to know and for the world to share Mm -hmm. or to share with the world I guess I should say (coughs) it's that mothers are are more rock stars even than we think they're rock stars already. And 
and and not just stay-at-home moms, working mothers, because the mothers who work here also have the same amount of laundry when they get home. Mm -hmm. They're still making a pot when they get home, unless a grandmother or an auntie has made a pot and maybe they live together, you know. Mm -hmm. But there is an insane amount of work to be done to keep a clean living space and to keep your children fed. And the methods to clean and the methods to cook here take a considerable amount of time. Mm -hmm. And but you're doing time it. Time is so valuable. You're doing it. You're making time. Oh. <laughs> you're doing it. You're doing it. I mean, I have had a wonderful stay. So. Well, thank you. So, where in the world is? I give you an imaginary ticket. You can oh, go man. anywhere in the whole wide universe. Just one trip? I mean, if you want to go multiple places. <gasps> if you can go anywhere to study alloparenting, and you, of course you'll bring your family, mm -hmm. where would you go and why? Oh, that was so easy. I thought it was going to be difficult. No. About a travel question? Mm -hmm. No. I would move my family to Sweetwater, Alabama, mm -hmm. which is where my dad's family is from. It's a very small village Sweet in the States. Sweetwater, Alabama. Yep. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. About, <laughs> population-wise, it's about the same size as the village I'm in now. Mm -hmm. 300? There's mm -hmm, about 300 people. And we are in... Mm -hmm. Dominica. And there are two churches and one school, very similar to here. There's a lot of farming going on, as well as working in a cash economy. Um, so much sharing of childcare responsibilities with family members and friends, especially your neighbors who are very, very close to you. And. I think it'd be a wonderful comparison to spend some time in a very small American community that had some similarities mm -hmm. to the community I'm in in Dominica. And not only to study alloparenting there, but to live there as a mother with my children. And as a mother, I would also have family members there and friends yeah. there that would be allo-mothering with me. Mm -hmm. And to live it, as well as studying it with a similar language and kin, you know, mm -hmm. um, I think it'd be a really nice spot to build on the alloparenting research within a community in the United States. Mm -hmm. That'll be sweet. Yep. So, last question. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to, well, it's kind of twofold. Mm -hmm. What advice would you give to an anthropologist going out into the field mm -hmm. for the first time and to an anthropologist coming here to Dominica? So the first part of the question is what has been hardest for me, and I think I've already said this, but it has been very, very hard, is that your career and your professional life completely and fully blend with your personal life and your family life. 
Mm -hmm. And it is extremely hard to make distinctions between friend and colleague and friend and interlocutor or friend and field assistant. There are so many complex social negotiations that have to happen that you feel like you're working twenty four seven but you also feel like you're living your family life twenty four seven. And those two things overlap every single minute of every single day. Mm-hmm. That has been very, very hard for me. Mm-hmm. Especially coming from four years of graduate school where you show up at eight AM, you leave at six PM, you've worked your butt off all day and you get to come home and you get to be away from work. Mm -hmm. When you're doing ethnography and when you're in the field as an anthropologist, you never get away from work. It is your life. Mm -hmm. You are participating. You are observing what feels like all the time. And for me, that's been pretty emotionally exhausting and something I've had to work through the last few months. And so, yeah, my word to the wise of any anthropology student who hasn't done anthropological field work yet is be extremely conscious and prepared for a life with limited privacy, a life with overlapping boundaries of your personal and professional space. If I were coming to Dominica as a young student, I would want to know that the most important thing in the world it's not data collection (laughs) (laughs) it's it's not crossing your T's and dotting your I's and doing everything so perfect in the data collection process Mm -hmm. it is getting to know your neighbors Mm -hmm. and getting getting to know the community and that will take time Mm-hmm. And you will feel like you're doing nothing important for a long time because you're just settling in. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like you're not doing, you know, the work, <laughs> the way we think of work. Mm-hmm. But that is the most important part. And there is no data collection process that is more important than someone's day-to-day life, Mm -hmm. than their feelings, (laughs) than their schedules, um, that 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 person would need to be utterly conscious and aware and sensitive, especially if they're doing research with mothers, Mm -hmm. what that mother's schedule looks like and what her needs are and what her um, stressors are. And knowing that woman at a personal level before even asking for an interview or asking for that woman to be involved in a data collection process or to be involved in a study. um, I think that's the best way to go about collecting valid and reliable anthropological data. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you now want to be an anthropologist. Thanks to you. <laughs> oh. Well, just 
just think real hard. <laughs> I mean, I think before I you make that life decision. <laughs> but I mean, I think it is cool to travel the world wherever you may be researching and living amongst you know a different group of people emerging in their culture i think that's pretty dope yeah. and i think one of the selling points to any young students out there mm -hmm. who might think they're interested in anthropology is it's not about traveling throughout the world it's about living in the world mm -hmm. and living in the world in places where you are the strange you are the unfamiliar you are the other mm -hmm. and living somewhere in a somewhat uncomfortable space and getting to know and getting to learn people and places and spaces that you didn't previously know mm -hmm. so if you don't want to travel the world but you want to live the world mm -hmm. anthropology might be the right outlet for you to do that okay I don't know. I do want to live, but I also want to travel. So I'll just continue yeah. doing this, yeah. what I'm doing. <laughs> well, you've got it pretty golden, too. Uh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but <laughs> if a connector out there is interested in maybe researching or not researching, reading mm -hmm. some of your publications or mm -hmm. maybe getting in touch with you or how can a connector get to know you or read some more of your publishings? Or well, it won't be hard to read through my publications because there are two of them. Well, there's three, <laughs> but the third one is coming out soon. Okay. I am pretty bad with knowing where my phone is and responding, but I am pretty good at answering emails in the morning. Okay. And I love to email because you have time to sit and think before you write. So they could email me. At? M-I-L-L-2206 at purdue.edu. Should I say it again like they do in the advertisements? Sure. <laughs> do it really slow this time. Okay. My email is mil2206 or mill2206 at purdue.edu. There you go. And that's Purdue, P-U-R-D-U-E, not Purdue, yes. P-E-R-D-U-E, no. like the chicken? No, no not <laughs> the chicken farm. Uh, <laughs> all right. And connectors, you know where to find me on www.ampsconnected.com, or you can email me info.ampsconnected at gmail.com. Follow me on Instagram or Twitter at Amps Connected. Well, until next time, thank you so much, Valerie Miller, for having me Anytime. on your front porch. It's been lovely. Enjoying the island breeze. <laughs> it is kind of breezy and cold. Yeah, so if y'all here, just be jealous. It's just the island breeze coming off the Atlantic Ocean. All right, y'all. So I think that's, that's yeah. it. Bonsoir. 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 Free up. Free up.
<laughs> <laughs> All right, connectors, stay connected. <laughs>